Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Nice to be back with you all. Joining me today, Miss Keith Bluefield. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Mr. Lee Price. Hello. I don't have any special hand signals <laughs> like Keith. <laughs> yeah, it's holiday season, so we're recording this. So Mr. Matt Lovell is away at the moment. But um, we've still got the three of us beautiful presences to keep you entertained for the next hour or so. So, um, as it's holiday season, we'll see what people have been up to this holiday season. Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks in the holiday season? Um, specific, well, most specifically, the last few days, I've been self-isolating. Uh, th- thanks for thanks to some strange global pandemic that's uh, currently, um, you know, doing its thing across the world. So, which, even though I was trapped in the house for like a week, I, I didn't. I didn't exploit it as best I could. I feel really bad. I'd fired up the Xbox for the first time in a month mm-hmm. and then proceeded to just play Star Wars Battlefront 2, <laughs> uh, which I, I don't know why. I just fancied a bit of Star Wars. Um, kind of played Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And no, I, yeah, I've still got the original Xbox 360 trilogy set, um, which which is there, but they're, they're all on Game Pass, and I kind of thought, yeah, I wasn't in the mood for uh, uh, anything that required any brain power, um, so I thought Star Wars was basically just just run around, shoot droids, um, and because I'd been watching the Bad Batch and stuff mm-hmm. on Disney Plus recently, I kind of thought, yeah, I quite fancy playing that. It's quite good. Yeah. So I spent a few a few hours on various planets shooting people, um, which wasn't as therapeutic as I would have liked. Um, yeah. Mostly because my reaction times were so bad, it was terrible. <laughs> is that are you going to blame it on your slow internet connection? Is that what no, it is? it's me. It's all me. <laughs> Lag. It's all me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like because there's no, uh, you can just respawn. I kind of think you know a minus one death to kill ratio seems okay. If I get killed tw- as many twice as many times as I kill other people, I think I'm having a good game nowadays. <laughs> Um, yeah, it seems to be the way. Well, yeah, we um, just—you're the same as me now. We've reached that elderly gamer age of where our reaction times are nowhere near people less than half our age, and we, yeah. and we haven't got the time to dedicate like fifty rounds of prestige. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like it's like I'm just I just play for fun. Now. Yeah, that's what it is, kids. I play for fun. And as soon as you get uh, discovered in the game, that's it. Everybody then knows you're the weaker player, so they just come straight mm-hmm. for you. Because you're like the easy pickings. I wasn't quite that bad. I was mostly mid-table mm-hmm. um, in those, um, which which was okay. So when I'm um, president of all video games, I'm going to have a, a per elderly, per, uh, aged gamer with not enough time to catch up. Where you'll like you'll load up a game and it'll like, do you want us to recap the controls for you? Is there anything you've forgotten since you last played? There's been a few updates, so we'll like have a three couple of minutes walkthrough of this is how you get navigate the game and these are all your powers. Yeah, I think there should be a thing with it. You got when you register your console, you put your age in, and it does it automatically for you, so that like it takes more shots to kill me, but I don't have to shoot everybody else as much. Mm-hmm. That would even it out for me. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd quite like that because it's usually the thing I just kind of I'm not looking at the screen and I'm running into something and then somebody's just standing there with some kind of like you know blaster and it's like oh okay yeah back to the respawn <laughs> point it's um all good oh that are just like age those... banding categories where they're like they'll put all the people in the 30s group together it's like you can all reminisce yeah. about He-Man and Thundercats in your group 
Yeah. And then we'll have the Paw yeah. Patrol group a bit further down. <laughs> I, I wouldn't advise saying this out loud. The gamers will find you. <laughs> gamers TM. <laughs> Go straight to the comments That's... section. It's great for <laughs> engagement. <laughs> Flavors away. Uh, I did I did catch up on a couple of other movies as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally got around to watching Army of the Dead uh, on Netflix, which I don't know why I'd kind of put it off. I think it's just because nobody else in the house would have wanted to watch it. So I kind of had a few hours to myself. So I watched that. It was OK. It wasn't great. Uh, it was a little disappointing. It's a great premise let down by poor execution. Yeah, it's kind of go. It kind of thinks it's cooler than it is, and I kind of, I I seem to find myself doing this an awful lot recently, of going, yeah, they kind of did this thing better in the '80s with less resources and more imagination. Um, you know, I kind of thought, I, I, it was, it was, it was fair, fair to middling. You know, there was some cool action shots. Um, yeah, I think the problem with a film like that is when it's somebody's passion project, like Zack Snyder, and he has control of the story and the casting and the production and the directing it's kind of nobody's there to tell him no you don't need to see yeah it's a bit of the george lucas prequel effect to it yeah possibly i think yeah people people being indulged i think that's the thing Mm -hmm. um i did also watch blood red sky which was kind of like a german uk co-production type thing which is is basically vampires on a plane uh (laughs) And that was kind of okay as well. That should have been the name of it, to be honest. <laughs> Does Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson get a cameo? <laughs> no, I they don't even kind of reference it. it. It's it was it was okay. It was it just kind of kind of didn't really go anywhere. Didn't really do anything interesting. Mm. You know, it was kind of a bit of Thirty Days of Night with a bit of kind of Snakes on a Plane with a bit of Die Hard. But it didn't really, didn't kind of really coalesce into anything interesting. I kind of found my interest wandering um, a little while into it. You kind of think, well, it's an interesting premise, but it never really did anything exciting with it. And it kind of ends, in a, it just kind of ends. And you're just going to go, okay. So it's basically that, two moves in a row where the premise is more insert. Yeah, the idea <laughs> yeah. was much better than the actual <laughs> film itself. I kind of felt a little bit disappointed um, yeah. by both. I was kind of thinking, ah, why, why did I watch those instead of so watching in some, them? So in summary, just read the plot summaries online instead of actually watching these movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, you, then you get the joy of the the plot, the actual idea, but yeah. you don't have to sit through the actual movie. And so read the plot summary and imagine your own film around it, and it's probably yes, a better yeah. concept. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, I only used it as a distraction to not watch La La Land. So, you know, I'm still kind of trying to put that one at the bottom of my to watch list. So anything that comes up that gives me an excuse to watch, to watch that instead of La La Land is, is, is all right by me. Um, I will get around to it at some point, but I kind of already know what I'm going to think. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. And you can come at me because I love The Greatest Showman. So, you know, uh, that that's fine. That's fine. So, I have issues with The Greatest Showman because it's about... A- a thoroughly horrible character, which is P.T. Barnum. And if you ever read anything into his life story, he's one of the the most cretinous humans ever to have lived. And to turn his in his life into like a singing dancing musical and make him Hugh Jackman is kind of a bit cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've heard some of the stories. Yeah. 
it, it's like U57 for the circus industry. U571. It's kind of like, yeah, let's let's just romanticize all this and make Americans happy because that that's the mm-hmm. history they're going to believe going forward. Damn. Like Hugh Jackman can sing. So there's your counterpoint. So. He can sing and he can hoof. He's a, he's a talented old geezer, that bloke is. <laughs> Lee, how about yourself? What have you been up to the holiday season? Uh, every time you say holiday season, I keep thinking of Christmas. Just because I, I see so many American things that refer to holiday season as like Thanksgiving to Christmas. I'm just like, we're a bit far off. Summer <laughs> holiday season, if that's how they're doing it. Yeah, there you go. Um, I've, um, well, I mean, right now, my use of this arm is limited just because I've had my second vaccine today so <laughs> I'm currently just using one arm <laughs> um, please tell me just flopping it around like it's <laughs> some toy arm <laughs> I do now but um, also found out that um, on the way there that how uh, terrible Birmingham City Centre has gotten for driving in so that's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do not drive to Birmingham if 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 you're yeah. a local boy. Because like the route the route I took to go to the vaccine centre in in question has been blocked off. It's no longer a traffic a traffic route. And then trying to use Google Maps to leave by a different route because I didn't know another way took me down all the back roads. Took like an hour to get home when it should have been half an hour. I don't know what all that was about. <laughs> so. Because Google Maps was like, if you get in, if you stay in the left lane and merge, that's where you go. What it meant was take the exit on the right on the roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Google Maps. Yeah, I think yes. the thing with Birmingham at the minute is like they're trying to convince people to move to public transport, and then at the same time closing off all the public transport because there's hardly any trains mm-hmm. running at the minute, and they've decided to dig up half the metro to repair it after only laying it five years ago. So it's like great success. Really well thought out <laughs> here, guys. Like if longer, longer listeners to the show will remember Keith's bus life feature, which was basically Keith just getting angry at every single bus he had to encounter a few years ago. Yeah, that still happens. <laughs> and um, I keep it to myself mostly because, you know, there's, there's only so much rage that people can deal with. <laughs> and and part, of my, part of the reason I had to self-isolate was thanks to public transport. Um, which is just it is just nuts at the moment and you know Birmingham is once what was once the car city of of the country is now literally a no-go area for any method of transport Mm -hmm. you you can't drive in it you can't walk in it you know it's it's insane yeah uh, at the moment I mean the old joke is Birmingham will be good when it's finished and it's definitely not finished (laughs) at the minute yeah yeah well they finish it and then go yeah, that's that's done. Let's dig it all up again now. Yeah, that looks pretty. <laughs> we'll take a few photographs for the museum and then come back to it in another <laughs> twenty years. Yeah, mm. it's like you, people can play a game if they if they are around Birmingham. It's a great game. You can see which workmen are replacing small parts of the pavement across the city centre because you'll see them everywhere. Just for some bizarre reason, re putting down some of the bricks on a random bit of pavement for what appears to be no apparent reason yes um but yeah we love you birmingham but you know you really need to get your tea together see what they do keith is they relay the pavement but off kilter 
So they'll put like a white yeah. slab where a red slab's supposed to be. So then now <laughs> when they come back in a few years' time, they get to redo that all again. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a league yeah. table of misplaced bricks for each worm <laughs> in the season. To, and they're all like in a vast conspiracy to make sure that everybody who has any kind of like compulsion to see things neat is just going to just gonna get a rage from it. I wonder whether it's just down to the fact that somebody if you, a long time ago found a treasure map, a pirate treasure map, <laughs> that was kind of remotely <laughs> Birmingham, but like with no real identifying marks. So they're just slowly trying to dig up every bit <laughs> to find this treasure. I'm, I'm getting it's kind of like the world's worst goonies. I'm getting flashbacks to the old Ardman show, Rex the Run, <laughs> where like they won Birmingham in a raffle i think it was oh, yeah. and then they shrink it down <laughs> i for- completely forgot about that show i loved that show so much <laughs> any other exciting adventures Lee? um i've been playing through a recent game called chris tales which is like um a small indie rpg so very much inspired by a lot of classic jrpgs um you play as like a time mage mm-hmm. it's a girl who can see into the past and the future and you can like send your little frog buddy either way to like make changes mm-hmm. oh. uh, Rex has joined us <laughs> how's life been treating him since the 2000s <laughs> <laughs> it's Vince though Rex uh, sorry Rex yes Rex is, is the normal one yeah 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 he's yeah. the straight Ketchup's man under the trolley as uh, Eddie Izzard would say but I'm interrupting Lee there with <laughs> toys. Yeah. And I am a grown person. Yeah. It's <laughs> shocking to believe. Uh, Chris Tales is it worth picking up, would you say, Lee? Um, from what I've played so far, it seems uh, pretty good. Um, a lot of the, the writing's excellent, and there's some really interesting stuff going on with the time powers, how you can, like, because you can use it in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, you could, like, use like a water spell on an enemy with armor and then like send them into the future so their armor rusts it brings their defense down so you can do little things like that um so there's a lot of cool things in there art style's really really cool as well um it's kind of kind of reminds me of like a lot of like the old like retro future sort of style mm. that you'd see in like like the 60s or something where it's like this is what the future would look like where it's all very bold and like big, like um, just like it's made out of almost uh, paper cutouts kind of thing. So it's kind of it's an interesting little it's an interesting art style. Um, even if they, the art style does lead to the protagonist having legs that are way too thin, <laughs> like this, like the little twig, and it's just like that would not support you. <laughs> what <are> you do? <laughs> um, yeah. So far, I'm still like I've still got quite a bit of it left to play, but it seems pretty good so far. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any more Tekken bouts as well? Oh yeah, you're having a break. Here and there, yeah. Here and there, yeah. Cool beans. We'll have to we'll have to have a geeky brummy tournament, um, so you can prove your worth. Lead now. Once, <laughs> once I've got started with it, I've got it to download. Is Eddie Guardo still in the game? So Keith can just plays the expert and lazily. <laughs> hey, no, hey, man! After watching Lee's video, I know that the character I'm picking is the cute panda girl. Is that you? <laughs> Yeah, hmm. sounds all good to me. No, just go for Panda and just sit on people. <laughs> <laughs> Best move ever. 
How about yourself, Ryan? What have you been up to on the past few weeks? Uh, it's been a bit of a quiet one. Uh, still slogging my way through Mass Effect Legendary Edition. About halfway through Mass Effect 2 now. Just got to Horizon. But uh, RPGs take me forever because I'm a full rubbish completionist, which means I have to go down every single nook and cranny and pick up every single loot drop. And it, it just takes me forever to get anything done because it's kind of like, I will explore the full map. The map is there for me. <laughs> don't put this corridor in if you don't expect me to walk down it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going slow, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, I've started list, re-listening to the Dune audio play on Audible, ready for a certain movie coming out again soon, just to remind myself of the story. It's a really good version if you've never heard it. It's an unabridged book, and it's like a full cast. Really, really good. Recommend that. And... I've watched the entire Fast and the Furious franchise from 1 through to Hobbs and Shaw. Impressive. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. (laughs) It's very interesting seeing a a film series that started off about stolen TVs with VHS players built in transform into The Rock and Jason Statham fighting a superhuman Idris Elba with helicopters. Well, you know, it's good to see a, a franchise become more realistic as time goes on. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and kind of go, lean into its, into the reality of, of the real world. Yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't think that's that uh, top fight in a submarine with cars, but, but apparently the next one's going to have space in it, so going to be interesting. Look, if the tenth movie in that franchise isn't called Fast Ten, your feet seat belts, then I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it is like one of the most confusingly named franchises ever. So it goes Fast and Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, then just Fast and Furious again, then Fast Five, and that compl- I've just lost count now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like at least at least with Star Wars, you know, it's episode one to one to nine quite neatly, <laughs> and they're calling it the Fast Saga now in the Hobbs and Shaw movie. So it goes Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw Fast Saga, and it's like it's not a saga. It's not an old Norse tale. There is not an old, old Norse tale of Vin Diesel going around driving a muscle car. With mach- at this point, at this point, I'm convinced that Fast and the Furious is the cinematic equivalent of Kingdom Hearts. It's got a similar <laughs> naming scheme. <laughs> Impossible to follow what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> licensed characters all over the shop. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's a film that has more sponsorship in the background than I think I've seen since the Transformers franchise by Michael Bay. It's like, I'm going to drive up in my brand new Ford Mustang. My Ford Mustang, available now from your local dealer. I don't know, does it get as bad as Jurassic World? Because that's probably been the most egregious film for product placement I've ever seen. I've not actually watched Jurassic World. Well, Hmm. basically, just like every single vehicle is a Mercedes. And I know this because every single scene where someone gets out of the car... The car pulls up to the camera so that you see the Mercedes logo. Like it's a like it's an actual advert. Yeah. You know, at the end of the ad, the car advert. That's what every single shot of a car looks like, and you can very clearly see the Mercedes logo. Mm-hmm. And they do that like four or five times in the movie. Yeah. The only vehicle they don't do that with is the classic Jurassic Park Jeep. 
Uh, it's, it's a real shame they don't take a, a, a leaf out of the, the, the book of Wayne's World 2 and do it very subtly. <laughs> you doing project placement. Well, you you um, mean we're, whilst you know. wearing a Pepsi hat and eating a slice of pizza hut? Yeah, I mean it's it's all literally unnoticeable in that Wayne's World uh, movie. <laughs> you know, they they showed they showed the world how you do product placement. Yeah. Um, that that's the way you do. Yeah, it. and Knives Out got ruined for me because somebody mentioned something about the product placement. And massive spoilers now if you've not watched Knives Out and you're planning to put your fingers in your ears for a couple of seconds. Apparently, every single person in that film has an Apple for Apple iPhone, apart from the killer. Because Apple refused to let the killer have an iPhone because that's wow. on the brand. It, it's been it's been a thing for quite a while that Apple. Yeah, um, Apple is not allowed thing. to be used yeah. by the villains in any kind of film. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's pretty it's a pretty standard thing. You've you've got to look sideways at people that are using Android phones <laughs> and stuff, really. Yeah, and they're, they're a dodgy bunch. Almost as dodgy as your Max audio connection. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, we, won't, we won't discuss that <laughs> anyway to, to segue along coming up on the show today we're doing a bit of a trailer talk special so uh, hi Vince so we'll be talking about some uh, recent <laughs> famous and not so famous movie trailers and films that are coming out now or recently uh, plus your usual um, games of the week and comic roundup from Keith but we'll be back shortly What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute. See what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. And now it's time to take our regular look at the comics out now and coming soon in the pool list. It's been a while since we did a roundup of comics, so I've got a bumper crop to rattle through this week. First up, we have my comic of the week from a few weeks ago, and it's Amazing Fantasy number one from Marvel Comics. This is written and illustrated by Kier Kyle Andrews. In this issue, experience these heroes like never before. Red Room, Black Widow, Teenage Spider-Man, World War II Captain America. The most iconic versions of your favorite Marvel characters from across time and space all wake up on an island of intrigue, darkness, and amazing fantasy are they dead are they dreaming or have they truly been transported to another fantastical realm and is there any way for them to return home this isn't just a love letter to your favorite marvel eras it's a reinvestment in the seminal characters you've always loved plucked from their quintessential timelines and brought to you by kier andrews this is one you've been waiting for true believers it's one amazing fantasy for all the ages I've enjoyed Andrew's work before and it's exciting to see him take out a book like this with throwbacks to how comics used to be and changing art styles for each character. This is a really interesting new book that doesn't tie into any current continuity and that means anything can and probably will happen. This is definitely a book you should put on your pull list. Next up, we have Headlopper number 16 from Image Comics. This is written and illustrated by Andrew McLean with colours by Georgie Belair. This is the variant cover issue I've got here. And our heroes band together and close in on locating the fabled Mulgrid Stair. But what of the fate of Arak plus is struggling people and the tyrant that rules them? All this and more as the story arc concludes with an explosive finish. 
I really like this book. It doesn't get enough love. The quarterly schedule probably means people forget about it for uh, a while, but the last 16 issues, McLean and Belair have delivered a vibrant and engaging story that keeps getting better. I love how fluid McLean's art is, and it works so well for the sword and sorcery world of Headlopper, and Belair continues to complement the art with a colour palette that just pops. Highly recommended. Then we have Sword number 7 from Marvel Comics, written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli. In this issue, it's the morning after the night before. The Hellfire Gala is over, but not all guests have gone home. Victor Von Doom is staying for dinner. He's chatting to an old friend in a very new setting about thrones, empires, magic, mysterium, and the last annihilation. And here he is again, Al doing what Al does best with big, bold, and exciting stories. This book follows on the last annihilation story that began over in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's nice to see Sword stretching its wings outside of the events affecting Krakoa and the rest of the mutants. With Al soon to finish his run on the equally excellent The Immortal Hulk, it's nice to know he's still going to have somewhere to continue shaking up the Marvel Universe. Next from Valiant, we have Shadow Man number four. This is written by Cullen Bunn with art by John Davis Hunt. Uh, Masters of Horror Cullen Bunn and John Davis Hunt bring Shadowman's descent into the darkness of London. What's your darkest secret worth? Danger is a drug and it's deep in the veins of mankind. Shadowman's on a quest to find the source of his hallucinations and Jack has less control than he once thought. The worst has happened. Darkseid has arrived. Creepy and unsettling is what you want from a horror comic and Shadowman continues to deliver Bunn and Davis Hunt have created a beautiful book here, and while some might find the pace a little slow in places, I think it keeps the slow burn tension and horror right where it needs to be. Then from Skybound and Image, we have Skybound X number four. This is written by Donny Cates, Robert Kirkman, Margaret Scott, and Brandon Thomas, with art by Lissandro Estheron, Ryan Otley, Emilio Lopez, Kari Randolph, and Pablo Tunica. In this issue, we have the fourth chapter of Rick Grimes 2000 plus new redneck and excellent stories, and the first appearance of Sea Serpent's Air. What a great celebration of Skyband this is. Rick Grimes 2000 is just fabulous, and the rotating selection of bank stories has been a revelation. The first peaks at new characters to come has been very welcome, and I'm looking forward to seeing their own comics down the road. With only one issue left to go, uh, it's going to miss this book once it's finished. Next up, from IDW Publishing, we have Star Trek Year 5, number 23, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, with art by Stephen Thompson. In this issue, a Tholian horde bearing down on Earth, a time-travelling madman out for blood, a rot festering within the highest levels of the Federation that's about to explode, and that's just where we begin. The biggest battle of the Enterprise and her crew has ever faced continues in part two of the amazing three-part finale of Star Trek Year 5 from showrunners Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly and artist Stephen Thompson. In well, we only have a few issues left to go on this title, and it's time to say goodbye to artist Stephen Thompson. Thompson's art has been part of the reason why this series has been so great. His interiors of covers have perfectly captured the era of 60s Star Trek and the transition to the era of the motion picture. Kelly and Lansing have crafted one of the great Star Trek stories, and I'm grateful we've had this opportunity to explore the end of the original Enterprise's journey. We already know what's next for Kirk and his crew and the change our majestic bird is about to undertake. And the journey there has been filled with great moments and all the creators involved have shown an obvious love and fondness for our crew. I'm sure they'll bring it home in spectacular fashion in the closing issues. And we wish Thompson happy trails. Just remember to head for the second star on the right and straight on till morning. Next up, we have Strange Adventures number 11 from DC's Black Label. This is written by Tom King with art by Mitch Gerrards and Evan Doc Shanna. In this issue, 
Adam Strange may save the world, but can he save his marriage? There are things that happen in the original war with the marauding Picts that Adam never told his wife Alana, and she wants answers now. Adding fuel to the fire is the possibility that he didn't just deceive her, but entire galactic civilizations in his quest for victory, which raises the question, how much has been true in the stories he's told Earth to mobilize its greatest heroes against an invasion right here at home? This is the big one before the finale. Massive secrets are revealed as two timelines rush towards a conclusion. It feels like it's taken a long time to get to this point. This book seems to have uh, massed less of a following than Mr. Miracle, but it's just as worthy of your attention. As we near the end of Adam Strange's journey, things are finally beginning to make sense, and we can see the truth slowly beginning to reveal itself. The artwork has been top-notch throughout the series, and I've loved the pulp adventure story, and, and it's been a been given a very modern and contemporary twist with only one issue left to go i hope it's not not the last we see of adam strange next up we have a previous comic of the week it's the dreaming waking hours number 12 from dc's black label this is written by g willow wilson with art by nick robles and colors by matt lopes in this issue the future of the realm of fairy lands in heather after's hands and heather's not exactly known for her sound judgment but if she doesn't use her powers wisely she could call down the wrath of the dream lord himself and send her closest confidant the escaped nightmare ruin back into eternal imprisonment or far far worse will ruin be unmade before ever knowing the true love he condemned himself to mortality for perhaps he just gets what everybody gets a lifetime but it's looking awfully short the Dreaming Waking Hours continues to be entertaining. Reed, Wilson, Robles and Lopes have succeeded in bringing the characters of the Sandman comic back in a way that is new and exciting, but also pays homage to what came before. This book looks and reads like a dream, no pun intended. And if you're a fan of the previous Sandman comics, you really should be picking this one up. Next up from Marvel, we have issue two of X-Men. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. In this issue, always better on X. As threats hurtle towards Earth from all sides, the fearless X-Men fight a seemingly unstoppable wave of annihilation, but even more dangerous threats lurk in the darkness, ready to strike in secret. After a great first issue, it'll be interesting to see where Duggan and Laraz take this team next. Being based right in the centre of New York will certainly send a message to the likes of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. But how will the rest of the world react? Will humanity ever really accept mutants as heroes? Then we have the fifth and final issue of Skybound X from Skybound and Image. This is written by Robert Kirkman, Sean Mikowitz and Kyle Starks with art by Jason Howard, Ryan Hotley, Chris Schweizer and Nico Walter. This cover is by David Finch. In this issue, Rick Grimes 2000 concludes, plus new The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton and Gasolina stories. Also, there's something completely new from Robert Kirkman and Jason Howard. Secrets. Wow, that was quick. Here we are at the fifth and final issue of this celebration of all things Skybound. I've enjoyed the anthology format and will certainly be keeping an eye out for the new characters who have debuted within these pages. Rick Grimes 2000 has been a blast and I'd like to see more of that. Uh, I'd like to see more publishers do anthology titles and I hope this has been a huge success for Image and Skybound and it won't be 10 years before we see something similar. Next up from Marvel Comics, we have the fifth and final issue also of Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman. This is written by Matt Groom and Kyle Higgins with 
art by Francesco Manna, and this cover, of course, is by Arthur Adams. In this issue, it's man-made kaiju versus real dead kaiju versus Ultraman on a shifting battlefield of ice and fire with thousands of lives at stake. When the smoke clears, will Ultraman be left standing? And if not, will it be because of the kaiju battle or an unexpected betrayal of a trusted friend? I've enjoyed this second series uh, of Ultraman from Marvel uh, a bit more than the first. It zipped along quite nicely and has filled out the world of Ultraman and the SP. Uh, it looks like the character will return for a third series in 2022 with the mystery of the Ultra 7. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of hoping in the meantime we might get a Jet Jaguar comic. Bringing us smack bang up to date is my current comic of the week. It's Batman 89, number one from DC Comics. This is written by Sam Hamm with art by Joe Quinones and is coloured by Jordan Gibson and Leonard Ito. In this issue, step back into the Gotham of Tim Burton's seminal classic Batman movies. Batman 89 brings in screenwriter Sam Hamm and artist Joe Quinones to pull on a number of threads left dangling by the prolific director. Gotham has become torn in two as citizens dressed as Batman and the Joker duke it out in the streets as D.A. Harvey Dent tries to keep the city together. He targets the one problem tearing it apart, Batman, and he'll get Bruce Wayne's help in taking down the Dark Knight. I was super excited to read when this book was announced. Batman 89 is one of the best representations of the Dark Knight on the big screen, and it was a shame we didn't get to explore that world more on the big screen. This comic promises to be a continuation of some of the threads sewn in the first movie. And with Sam Han on board as writer, this is the genuine article. Joe Quinones is the perfect artist for this series as his work conjures up the classic superhero film. And if you're a fan of the Tim Burton classic, then you should definitely pick this up. And finally, for this roundup, we have Fight Girls number two from AWA and Upshot. This is written and illustrated by Frank Cho with colours by Sabine Rich. In this issue, 10 hard as nails women's face off in a ancient contest of champions where the winner truly takes on the title Queen of the Galaxy. To win the challenge, each contestant must survive the hazards of the planet's harsh landscape, the ferocious predators on and below its surface and their fellow contestants. This edition of the contest has a twist. One of the contestants is an infiltrator who has her eye on something bigger than the prize. Who is she and what does she really want? You know what you're getting with a Frank Cho comic and this series delivers. The first issue was huge fun and as expected, it looks amazing. There's more to this book than the bombshell art, and you really should check it out. And that's it for our roundup of comics in the pool list. As always, you can pick them up from town from the wonderful World's Park, Birmingham. And if you want to find out other comics that might be worth picking up, you can also check out our On The Radar feature, which appears on our Twitter and website every Wednesday. But until next time, don't forget, comics are for everyone. And now, back to the main show. Time for a trailer talk. It's been a little while since I've done one of these. I think the last time you you guys did one without me, didn't you? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I've picked all these lovely movies for for uh, Lee and Keith's delectation here. So to start us off, uh, this is a film that's been massively delayed from COVID. I think the trailer's been out for like at least a year and a half on this one, if I recall correctly. And the first movie I selected was Free Guy, which is 
a lovely vehicle starring a Mr. Ryan Reynolds, directed by Sean Levy, and penned by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. And it's got Jodie Comer and Taika Waititi in it. So the premise of this movie is a bank teller who discovers he's actually an NPC in an open world game, decides to become the hero of his own story, one he writes himself. So Lee, as our resident gamer, do you think this lives up to the concept? Well, okay. My opinion on this movie was already low because it got insert. They decided to insert it in the middle of Summer Games Fest, and therefore in a place where it didn't deserve to be. So I was already like, get this movie out of this game presentation. <laughs> um, but I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we'll do a thing around video games, and I, it feels like the people writing it, directing it doing the special effects have never actually played a video game in the last 20 years that's genuinely how it feels to me mm -hmm. um it, it just i don't really it's a weird it's a weird concept and i'm not sure from looking at the trailers that it kind of lives up to that idea of like an npc becomes the main character especially because i'm not really sure what kind of open world game they're going for are they going for like gta or are they going for like an mmo you know it's for me, you know. it felt like GTA yeah, 3, I think. There. Yeah, like one of like that very early 3D era of GTA, mm -hmm. like 3, Vice City, San Andreas kind of era, mm -hmm. where it was a very clunky, oh, let's just go into a restaurant and shoot the place up. Oh, look, I can do this now because it's in 3D kind of feel. Yeah. I mean, that still kind of happens with GTA. <laughs> yeah. With 5, so, you know. It does feel like they kind of went, oh, well, GTA 5 is like the biggest entertainment product in history. Let's emulate that mm -hmm. in video game form. And then imagine like what if Ryan Reynolds was there and became a main character. Mm -hmm. But it just generally, it generally just looks a bit cheesy in all honesty. And I think like the initial um, trailer I saw for it, like the one in Summer Games Fest, they threw in a whole bunch of streamers in there as well. And I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> They're going for that angle. Are they trying to like hook in the gamers by bringing in the streamers? Okay, just such a cynical move yeah. for me. I think another part of the issue is because there is such a dearth of things at the cinema at the moment. I think this is kind of what would have just been a uh, kind of B-ish kind of movie, one that they'd have released mm. and not pushed so hard and expected it to do well on streaming has kind of become one of those, oh, we've got nothing else out for a couple of weeks. We've got to actually like, give some advertising budget to this one and push it. And Ryan Reynolds is bankable at the minute because of Deadpool, so we'll try and cash in on that. Mm -hmm. and Keith, your thoughts? Um, I'm probably more favourable towards it than, than you two. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I just look at it as it's a stupid movie about games for people who know nothing about games. Mm -hmm. um, it... it it will have no, bear no uh, relation to anything that real gamers understand. Uh, it'll be a kind of a mishmash of like confusing MMOs with, you know, kind of open world play. But, you know, it's Ryan Reynolds. It'll be dumb. It looks quite well put together. You know, um, it's it'll be a kind of entertaining couple of hours that you'll forget about almost immediately. Um, and again, I feel it's it's another yeah another film that feels like a throwback to that kind of classic '80s 
you know, popcorn summer movie where it's just like, what's popular? Let's let's stick that on yeah. on film, and every, you know, people will go and see it because you know, it's summer and it's they want to get out of the hot weather and into an air conditioned theater, and you know. Um, but he, he looks okay. Ryan Reynolds is 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 mildly amusing in most things that he does, you know. And I, for one, am looking forward to where, however they leave the Hugh Jackman cameo in there. Um, I was going to say, I, which, which I think the thing with Ryan Reynolds is been playing the exact same character since National Lampoon's Van Walder, and <laughs> and he's he's made a good career out of it. But I don't think I've ever there's not been very many Ryan Reynolds movies where he's not playing the fourth wall quirky witty yeah. snappy guy and you can tell it's like it's like an old overcoat for him isn't it something like this role yeah it, it, i think it's it's another one of those cases of like what he lacks in acting he makes skills he makes up for in charisma really unlike other ryans who Get kind off, of like Keith. think they're good at acting <laughs> but have no <laughs> not 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 ryan parish the uh, the charismatic and uh Bon Vivon lead of Geeky Brummy, um, which is which is kind of good. I, you know, the the other the the robot guy from Blade Runner and stuff. Yeah. You know, obviously channeling his inner inner abilities there. But yeah, it's you know it's got it's pulling the right kind of people together that will get people interested. You know, they're flashing up that Taika Waititi's in it. Um, I mean, Jody you know, Comer as well. So yeah. Yeah. I think my problem with it, like, comes from the fact that they very much are trying to push it towards people who do play games, though. That's why they dumped it in the middle of Summer Games Fest. And it's like, but the entire audience is watching this and going, this doesn't this doesn't feel like a, an actual game. Like, it feels like you don't know what you're talking about. And I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those films where you'll have someone like one of those top ten list kind of YouTube channels will will make hay out of this because I'll do like top ten things of why this film is wrong, and like yeah. Cinema Sins will have a massive list of every single thing that ever goes wrong in it because it's not actual well, well, gaming. Well, that's that's Cinema Sins's entire grift though. They do that for every movie. This makes no difference. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of sins in this one, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think I hope they deliberately just go. We're going to do it wrong. Just to troll everybody that's going to come at us with like, no, I mean, that wasn't if, screen accurate. That was that's, that wasn't. If quite that's like... what they're going for, I respect it. <laughs> yeah. if, if I was making this, I would just be going, yeah, we're going to do this to just really troll. We know nothing about games, and we're just going to make something up, and it's going to have some ridiculous thing. Like there'll be some monkey in it, and it'll be called like Donkey Ape or something else, and we'll just deliberately wind up gamers and anybody else completely. But yeah, it's it's disposable popcorn. F- fun in in a time where there's not an awful lot of stuff coming out and i think everybody's got too super critical over the past year and you know it's like it's a dumb movie it's it'll it'll do what it does it'll come and go and and people will forget about it in a few years time and it's like well if i'm entertained for two hours and it makes me forget about the horrors of everything else that's going on in emergency planet earth um I'm, i'm all for it yeah or alternatively, if you want to watch a video game related movie starring Ryan Reynolds, Detective Pikachu is right there. <laughs> I think, I think that's a, but he doesn't look like Ryan Reynolds until the end. I think that's a good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think that'll be a good moment to move along and go to our second movie choice, which is it, it's it's a bit of a tonal shift. This one, which is Annette. 
Now this is a film by Leo Carax. Leo Carax. Leos Carax. I can never get his name right. It's the guy who directed Holy Motors. So it's his. It's been a long while since he actually made a film. I think Holy Motors was back in 2012. So this is his most recent movie. Uh, so it's been a bit of a gap, almost nine years. So this film was actually originally not conceived as a movie. It was considered to be an album by the band called Sparks, who you may have heard of, who are basically like, what if we were, what if we were like one of those indie or tour bands, but even more extra. It's like the Flaming Lips took a trip out on the Magic School bus. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is is impressive, because that's already the Flaming Lips. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, basically, it's, they wrote a narrated musical, The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman, because the cast was too big, it proved too difficult to tour it, so the band wrote Annette instead. And then, so this has been made by Karat, after he met, he put one of the Sparks' songs into Holy Motors. That's kind of where this general mashup is. It's starring Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver, Simon Helberg, and the plot is a stand-up comedian falls in love with a pop star and they have a child, but the trailer wouldn't actually lead you to that kind of film concept at all. So, um, Keith, I'd, I'd be quite interested to hear your thoughts on this one. I'm assuming you've seen Holy Motors. Yeah, I, I, I like the poster that's, that's here, and I'm... I'm t- boggled by the sudden uh, interest in Sparks and Edgar Wright's got a uh, documentary about them out and around at the moment and then they they turn up in this um, the trailer was interesting because all I could hear was Kylo Ren I was like <laughs> okay this is, this is kind of he didn't strange. have the mask on Keith he was horrible <laughs> no but he's, he's like he's literally he's got the hair and he you know he's topless in a bit for, and I was like what this is just so bizarre some kind of crazy Kylo Ren cosplay I mean it looks odd and quirky and and uh I've absolutely no idea who the audience <laughs> for this movie is um but I it's something that I would probably want to watch um, just to see how, how odd and, and kind of quirky it, it ends up being. Um, the trailer gives absolutely nothing away. Uh, you know, I watched it and it's like, you know, you've got the the synopsis of what's going on. I'm going, I didn't get that at all from this trailer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, I have no idea what's going on. Apart from the one bit where you see Sparks playing yeah. uh, when they're doing the band stuff and the music things. And the music sounds pretty cool. And that's kind of like, you know that could carry a lot of weight for it mm-hmm. um yeah but it's just it's an odd fish really um you know it's um it, it it's I don't, I don't think the trailer really does it any favors i don't think it's a particularly well cut together trailer to, to hook an audience in i think i think unless you're kind of already down with this movie because you, because you know of the previous work mm-hmm. or you kind of dig the actors um i'm not sure you, you bring in more of a, a broad, wider audience to it yeah with, um that trailer well it's coming to amazon prime video rather than a general release here in the uk so it's coming on the 3rd of september and lee we chatted about this a little bit before the show and i think you were as confused as i was yeah like i i knew nothing about this film going into that trailer and i knew nothing about this film coming out of the trailer um, like i i think with the one thing that just got me was like they were kind of i wasn't sure what adam driver's job was i was like is he a is he a stand-up comedian but then when like they showed like the sparks 
band stuff, I was like, wait, is he is he in a band? <laughs> What's happening here? And I was just, I was so lost in like all of it. Yeah, I think there's going to be many ladies going just for the for the tantalising glimpse of a Adam Driver's <laughs> bottom that we see in the trailer. <laughs> so I think that might be some of the attractive attraction for the audience there, Keith. But um. I said, from Leo Carax, I expect it to be completely insane because that's what Holy Motors was. And it's kind of like that that everything is not as it seems. And this trailer, although it was kind of strung together for the first half of it, like it was a normal, normal movie, it gets pretty weird towards the end, I think, when there's the bit with the baby and then there's the ocean and then there's just... Adam Driver saying weird stuff, and then it just ends before you get what's going on. And I actually quite enjoy having a trailer where the entire plot is not revealed to you in three minutes or less. It's kind of one of those films that I'm actually more interested in watching it now than I would have just reading that it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's got a lot going for it just in terms of of in, you know you kind of you're so bamboozled by what you're going to get that you kind of think i've got to see this just to see how it all pans out i mean um, it's certainly like this was one of the few trailers after watching it i had to look up like just to find out what the hell was actually happening so in a way that did hook me yeah <laughs> you know yeah and i think for people who like that kind of cinema which is non-standard in in a way that kind of this i think this would have been one of those films that 15 20 years ago would be massive on dvd and had a very limited release and i think this is where the streaming services are finding their audiences now where they can afford to have something which is probably a bit more niche which is going to be people who are fans of the band sparks uh, like people who've seen Holy Motors and want to see something different. This gives them that opportunity now to invest in something like that rather than having that wide cinema release cost. Yeah, yeah, it definitely kind of feels like that era where like music video directors were making films everywhere, like Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry and stuff like that. And they were all kind of weird and off kilter as well. And it's just kind of it does feel a bit like that, especially with Sparks' involvement. So it's got that kind of musical connection, but mm-hmm. I'm still a bit baffled by it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it, and it's definitely one of those films. I think it's going to be one of those films that I'll watch solo because Viv doesn't really like films without a plot, which seems to be what this is mm-hmm. heading towards. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, might be worth a review. We shall see. So our final film of this segment is not a film it's a tv series it is foundation so this is isaac asimov's opus of sci-fi novels written in the golden era of sci-fi so this is a complex saga of humans scattered on planets throughout the galaxy all living in the rule of a galactic empire and then one man who finds out a mathematical equation of where things might be changing very soon uh starring jared harris as dr harry Selden, selden lee pace as uh, Brother Day, Terence Mann as Brother Dusk. Um, interesting pick for a cast. And I think Apple seems to have spent a lot on this. So it's premiering on September the 24th on Apple TV+. Plus. But it's it's a series I've always struggled with to read, but it looks like it's going to be fantastic viewing. And Keith, have you read Foundation? No. 
know. It's 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 one of those things that kind of just sits there, like the the the, the subsidiary Dune books that you kind of go, I, I should read them, <laughs> uh, but just just they just you know you go, oh, I'll just reread uh, one of the Terry Pratchett books again. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I've ne- I've never really kind of um, I've, I'm not hugely into that kind of epic sci-fi um novels but they make good tv shows um because then i have i don't have to do as much of the reading part of it um and like you said this looks looks uh like apple are really investing heavily in this being something special mm-hmm. um whether the, the whether there's whether it's the timing now with june having been bumped a year uh there's enough room in everybody's minds for two hugely epic sci-fi uh series films like this but uh david s goya's involvement has me a little worried mm-hmm. potentially mm-hmm. um you know he, he's he's good at what he does but again there's there's i've reservations about that but it looks stunning you know it certainly looks mm-hmm. uh the part and i have a vague understanding of the premise of the of the books and the, and the stories that, that that are being told um as long as it doesn't get bogged down and become a bit too po-faced and um kind of a bit full of itself it could be good i i've kind of got spoiled in the last few years with something like the expanse which i really really enjoyed and really got into and that had a lot to say um and again was grounded a little bit with themes that are very contemporary whether foundation will be able to thread that um grounded uh things that are important to us at the same time you know like the all the classic sci-fi things that we do have some reflection of mm-hmm. contemporary um issues in them um whether whether foundation can do that i i, I don't know um but I'll certainly be um, watching it. Uh, you know, the trailer alone makes you think this this will be something mm-hmm. worth watching. Um, whether I'll stick with it, I think that's going to be, you know, something that, that I'll find out down the road. Yeah, and I think two very strong leading characters in Lee Pace, um, Jared Harris. Jared Harris, I loved in the Chernobyl miniseries. And he's been a very strong actor. And he turns up in The Expanse as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, he's in the um, first couple of seasons, mm-hmm. less so in the later seasons, but yeah. Yeah, and it's Ronan the Accuser, of course, the lead place amongst many other roles. Uh, maybe bringing back the dead to life with pies, which I remember. Yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. Lee, how's your hard sci-fi leadings towards this? I mean, are you a fan? Or... So I'm not actually familiar with like the original work. Like As soon as it said Isaac Asimov, I was just like, well, I don't really know his work um, at all. Um, when it comes to like a lot of the kind of classic, like deep sci-fi, mm-hmm. it's I'm more kind of I'm more familiar with like Philip K. Dick's work because I've read quite a bit of that. Um, but um, it's it's definitely like an intriguing looking series. I'm not again. It's another one of those things where it's like just from watching the trailer, I'm not entirely sure what it's about. But I think that's more just because it feels like there's going to be a lot going on. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot to follow. It does feel like the kind of series that you can kind of just lose yourself in all the lore of it. Um, and just because it is, it does look like a very dense 
sort of story that covers a lot of ground. Um, it does look interesting. I will say that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it looks like just visually, it looks amazing as well. So yeah, and it's definitely one of those franchises that I think has the capacity to go on for a long time, depending on how much of the book series they adapt. There's quite a few books in the Foundation series, and the first novel mm -hmm. itself is quite thin. And that's probably going to be season one. And then there's a chance this could be running for it for a long time because the original stories, they're over millennia, really. And there's kind of, there's a lot of generational shift and change. So it could possibly be, if it works out as Apple hopes it to be, one of those franchises where they can refresh the characters every couple of seasons and bring in new people. And yeah. it, to me, as, as Keith said, it's a visual feast. It's, you can tell Apple have really, really blown the CGI budget on this for a start off. I mean, it's doing something like Foundation, it's never going to be an easy task. And it's not one of those things that could be easily adapted into a film. So I think going down the series route is very sensible with this. But my fear is if it doesn't go as well as they want, are they just going to leave it dangling and not ever finish the story mm -hmm. off? It's one of those where it's kind of they bet big on this one so if the bet doesn't pay off it might be just a case of oh we do the one book and then never return to the franchise which would be very disappointing but i think yeah the parallel you said keith of the expanse is very very sensible and that's kind of yeah i think the other thing they've got going against them initially is just the uh user base of something like apple tv plus um obviously Amazon and Netflix have got a much broader mm -hmm. uh, audience because there are a lot of great shows on Apple TV Plus uh, that just that people aren't seeing just because they're not part of that um, network and it's not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be something like they're pushing. Whether they will use this as a this is a must see show and you are going to need to subscribe to this. This is our this is our Tiger King. This is, this is you know, our Game our, of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones, yeah, um, and um, it's nice. I mean, you know, um, it's. I, I hope it it engages me more than something like Game of Thrones ended up doing, and to a to a lesser extent, Westworld. Um, and but this, you know, it, like you said, it's 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 the thousand year epic of a, a, you know, it's 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 a it's a multi generational, um, Star Wars in, in one form or another but perhaps not quite as hokey and I, and I wonder whether that'll kind of go against it in the end yeah that you know there's um right. it becomes a little too serious and a little too dry yeah i mean it's, it's uh, for me is our audience is ready for that kind of hard sci-fi i mean as you said the expanse dabbles with that and it's 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 pretty strong and it's hard sci-fi but i think it still has some kind of laxness to it where it can play around a little bit whereas this is going to be, as you've said, full, proper, hard sci-fi. And it's going to be a bit like yeah. the Wheel of Time series for Amazon, I think, which is going to be proper, hardcore fantasy. It's going to be interesting to see if the, there's enough of an audience there for the general populace. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting experiment for, for them as a, as a channel. Um, but, you know, it looks stunning. So I'll, I'll certainly be kind of giving it a, giving it a go. Mm -hmm. Worth a watch. Definitely. 
Hello, it's the part of the show where I talk about my games of the week, and it's been a few weeks since we've last done one of these, so we've got a few games to get through. Let's start with Chris Tales, which promises to be a love letter to classic JRPGs, where you play as Chris Bell, a young mage who can manipulate time, creating unique battle situations. For example, you can use a water spell on an armoured enemy, accelerate time forward and now their armour is rusted and useless. Based on what I played in the demo, those inventive mechanics are partnered with some great writing and an eye-catching cartoony art style. Definitely one to watch. After that, we jumped into a week where we had two games of the week. Indie Game of the Week was Unbound Worlds Apart, a cute little platformer starring a mage with the ability to shift dimensions. Using a variety of powers, you have to explore a world in danger, preventing reality from collapsing in on itself. It's another one I played the demo of, and I was impressed by its endearing art style and unique dimension-shifting mechanics. And then the main game of the week was The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. The ridiculous courtroom drama series heads back to the Victorian era and finally gets a Western release. In this game, you play as young lawyer Ryanusuke Narahodo who ventures to Great Britain and teams up with great detective Herlock Sholmes, no really, to bring justice to London. I've never played an Ace Attorney game, but the more I see of them, the more I would like to, and this latest game is no exception. It looks like it's maintaining the series' reputation for testing the player's deduction skills, while also being the right level of silly. And then the next game of the week was Dodgeball Academia, a sports RPG with all the anime trappings you could possibly want. That's just in story style at least, since the game is about a boy who joins the most prestigious dodgeball school in the world in the aim to become the very best. Like no one ever was, perhaps. But visually, the game is much more Cartoon Network than anime, with bold, cartoony character designs and a goofy sense of humour. Gameplay is a typical top-down JRPG style, where dialogue choices and party management are a major part, except battles are dodgeball games, where special moves and status effects are rolled into the sports action. The game is bold, brash, and looks a lot of fun. And finally, this week's game of the week is Atrio the Dark Wild. A cross between Don't Starve and Factorio, Atrio puts you in the shoes of an android tasked with restoring a place called Station 3. To do this, you must build supply lines, keep them powered, and harvest the woods of natural resources. The woods are also painfully dangerous, especially in the dark, so expect a lot of hostility from the local wildlife as you try to capture them. Sounds easy, or at least the trailer would seem to suggest so. That was a lot of games of the week, and now back to the main show. Time for part two of Trailer Talk. So in this one, let's kick off with Andy Serkis's latest movie. It's weird to describe it as that, but he's in the director's seat. Written by Tom Hardy. It's a Sony Marvel collaboration. It is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So this is due for release soon. Uh, Tom Hardy returning as Eddie Brock, who has to face an even bigger threat in Woody Harrelson, a.k.a. Carnage, in this one. And I think Tom Hardy wrote the story for this one. So it's going to be interesting. Starring Tom Hardy, of course, Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams. Lee, what were your thoughts on this one? Oh boy, it's an edgy Spider-Man movie. <laughs> that was Spider-Man 3. You can't reuse the same one. <laughs> Anything with Venom is just edgy Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. No interest in... That's the, yeah, nothing. No, that's my thought process. That's my entire thought process. Mm-hmm. Bit of a C- Keith, what did you think? <laughs> bit of a CGI fest. Um... I, I, I didn't go to the cinema to see Venom. I ended up watching it uh, 
when it ended up on one of the streaming channels. And it was for what it was, it was okay. It, it was it was definitely going after that kind of like, uh, like yeah, like Marvel films are for kids, and we need to do something that's a bit more kind of like adult, grown up, and there's like drinking and swearing and smoking and eating, things getting eaten and stuff. And for what it was, it was it was okay. You know, it was it was fine. It, it wasn't Venom. It was a a version of Venom that kind of um, you know at least you could understand what Tom Hardy was saying. Um, can you you know <laughs> yeah just about i mean i'm still i'm still i'm still completely and utterly uh in love with the fact that the bane in the harley quinn cartoon series talks like ben, like the bane did in the dark knight movies uh which is i just, I just think you know you, you you've doubled down on that but it, it just seems it just seems a bit excessive and I, I kind of like the stuff that's Eddie without Venom. That seems kind of cool. All of that kind of like he's a he's a bum, um, you know. He's not a, he's not a hero in any way, shape, or form. He's he's kind of you know he's down on his luck, which is kind of accurate to the character in the comics and stuff. But without Spider Man, it kind of all seems a bit pointless. Um, Venom needs Spider Man. That that you know he came he was basically birthed from Spider Man. Um, so the whole symbiotes thing, um, I think too much is put into them. You know, there's there's like there's dozens of them in the Marvel universe now, and they've recently had a um, a whole thing. They've got you know, there's a whole planet of them and stuff, and it kind of takes out the specialness of um, what that how that character originated. You know, the whole idea that he was picked up during the Secret Wars and Spider-Man brought him back, and um, the whole black suit and the kind of you know. In the comics, you had a long gestation period to get to Venom. You know, it happened over a long period of time, relatively. Um, but in this, it kind of all seems a bit, you know, Venom wants to eat people. And uh, it, it's a bit, it falls a bit hollow without the kind of Spider-Man connection. Yeah. Um, and then the kind of the carnage thing as well. It's just another, like, you thought Venom was bad. Wait until you get carnage. Yeah, and I think uh, this is a very specific moment in the trailer, which is where uh, Carnage appears from Woody Harrelson. And um, you have Venom going, oh, S-word, that's a red one. And then, like, shrinks back inside Eddie, Eddie Brock. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to fight him. Then Eddie Brock goes, well, I'll let you eat as many people as you want. And then it's like, oh, will you? And then pops back mm. out. It's kind of like, that's really terribly yeah. forced humor here. It doesn't really fit yeah. the characterization. And the, and the kind of, there's a character I didn't, I, I kind of really wasn't following along, but there's a character who appears to be um, Siren. There's, a, there's an X-Men called Siren, who's Banshee's daughter. And they've got like vocal powers. Cause I think everybody knows that the symbiotes are, are afraid of sound have yeah. a weakness to high frequency sonics mm -hmm. so you kind of go I, I kind of see how this is going to go on at the end but i don't know i think it's it's sony flash flash much like venom sony's <laughs> flailing around its various tentacles without really hooking onto anything it's kind of like well we've got venom and we've got the other members of the sinister six and we've got Mobius and stuff, but we've not got Spider-Man to hang it all off. And <laughs> and I think that's the that's the big issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, is the Keystone character, isn't it? Everything yeah. revolves because of Spider-Man. As you said, yeah, I think this Venomverse is always going to struggle. 
I think the original plot was to do a Sinister Six movie off the back of this. And yeah, I just don't see the legs in this franchise at all. Yeah. Um, you know, if, they'd have, if, if Sony and Marvel would, would get their act together hmm. and kind of go, right, we'll fold everything into the Marvel Universe first because that, you know, it worked really well with Spider-Man coming into Civil hmm. War. And to a certain extent, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you can see how that is going to be connecting to the wider Marvel Universe now we've had WandaVision hmm. and Loki and all the rest of it. And to have a slow burn where you'd have had Spidey on an alien planet and he kind of comes back with the suit and that burns and there's a whole thing with like Tom Holland's Spidey and then Venom breaks free and Eddie Brock's brought in and it, and it evolved a bit more naturally because it kind of all happens in like the first 10 minutes. It, it's The Venom is very much like an old school superhero movie, which is like, yeah, we've got this character and, you know, they do some cool stuff. But we can't be bothered with the whole how that happened because that's just a bit dumb. And it's like, you know, it takes too long to explain. And we've got to spend ages working to that. So we'll just kind of introduce it and it kind of happens and all stuff goes on. And and everybody will be really kind of like won over by how cool everything is and how like edgy and what's it Venom is. And he eats people and it's all kind of, you know, um, it's, it's a bit of a throwback to kind of a period where. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think. As- it's going to struggle in in a modern kind of superhero era. I know Lee's not a big fan of superhero movies, but you know who Spider-Man was because it's Spider-Man. At the end of the day, he's permeated culture. Venom is not a strong enough character to stand on his own as a flagship character for a film. I mean, we've seen stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy work because it's been intertwined with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you go in and knowing that. And I think having just Venom as a standalone character, no matter how well Tom Hardy could play him was always going to struggle in a mass market because at the end of the day he's an anti-hero and an anti-hero story is never going to work as well especially with like that whole rated R kind of thing where if you notice the trailer even though it was quite violent there was no blood or anything there was just bits that that like ooh this is like alien weirdness so we can get away with that yeah I think it's it's unlike Deadpool, which kind of stand, stands by itself, because Dead, Deadpool's his own kind of thing, and he can get away get away with that. But at least they do connect him to the X Men, mm-hmm. and were able to do that because Fox owned the the the, the X Men franchise at the time. Venom's a cool character, and interesting things have happened with him in the comics, and he's become, you know, different things over time. Uh, so, so he's got a lot of interesting elements to him through his history to make a good story but i just this just seems like an escalation of the previous film as where it's like mm-hmm. you know we've got to one-up ourselves so we're yeah. gonna have carnage who's even worse than venom yeah and so like venom doesn't look as bad and it's kind of you're gonna go well where's this going okay. uh, one one additional thought that i had though is that like carnage's design reminded me a lot of the recent game carrion where you basically play a mass of tentacles and gross, weird alien nonsense. And I'm just like, I'd rather play that than watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's due for release on September the 15th. I, I, It's probably going to be one I'm going to skip and wait to come to streaming service of whatever choice they make. Uh, to move on to the next film, 
and the only animated film in this bunch of trailer talk. Uh, it is the one and only C.I. Ape. So, in a world of espionage, some missions require an agent with a unique set of skills, possessing not only bravery, but the ability to melt even the most villainous heart. This is a job for C.I. Ape. Uh, directed by Ali Zamani, writers include Stephen Johnston, Jerome Regner, Calfon, Sebastian Seaman was one of the writers, and the <laughs> cast is a complete bunch of unknowns. Sorry, I don't know a single one of the cast. You all seem to have made up names. Uh, yeah. could say the say the name of the one guy. I, I can't remember it. I, I just skip Schwing. <laughs> skip Schwing. <laughs> but, um, it's not even got a release date. But it's coming to streaming services and DVDs near you soon. So uh, I think we'll let Lee start off on this one. Are we sure this isn't like a sci-fi channel original? Because that was the vibe <laughs> I was getting off this. Especially when the shark showed up at the end of the trailer. It's just like, oh, is this another Sharknado situation? Um, like, there were so many things about that tra- that trailer that just made me wonder why. Yeah. I mean, it's coming from Lionsgate, uh, which is like an actual film company. That was the point. Like I looked in the corner and saw the Lionsgate logo and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the thing that struck me about this is that the CGI ape does not, does not look like it belongs in that world. <laughs> it is so bad. <laughs> they have not blended that CGI very well at all. Like every scene that he was in, I was like, I was seeing a live action scene with a superimposed CGI monkey. It did, I was not seeing a monkey in the scene. It's a bit of a shame, really, because the CGI of the monkey itself seems to have been quite well done. Yeah. It just doesn't what? fit. What? I, um, it was all, it it was was all, all right. right. It was on VHS. For, for, for a DVD slash streaming release, it's all right. Yeah. It, it's, it's not... It's, I wouldn't... I've seen worse. Yeah, it's going to say, I wouldn't put it on a par with um, Umbrella Academy. But but there was decent strides towards having a CGI ape, and then they just didn't blend it very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was still, it was like the bit where like they showed the credits of the actors. I was just like, wait, is this are these the real names of the actors, or is this like part of the joke that these are all? I and then I looked it up. I had to look it up because I was like, are these the real cast? Turns out they were because they all all of them had these weird surnames, and it, then like that skip guy yeah i was like it, they felt like parody names you'd see in like a trailer in a comedy movie for a made-up film it's like the beginning of tropic thunder where you've got all the <laughs> fake trailers that's what it felt like it felt in that moment it felt to me like an snl sketch yeah a little bit yeah it's kind of like that whole that same vibe that yeah. whole vibe of we've made this just for a skit and it's like yeah. no effort has been put into any of the character creation at all. I mean, there's a bloke yeah, in just it. Expe- expecting uh, uh, like Andy Samberg to show up at any point. <laughs> Andy Samberg is CIA. Maybe that's what it is. Like, I, mean, I couldn't find who was listed for the voice credits on that. It's that bad. But I'd love it if they were uncredited. <laughs> yes. I mean, what got me was there's a bloke in it who's quite obviously a stand-in for Ben Kingsley because even Ben Kingsley wouldn't touch this. And it's like, oh, we've got Ben Kingsley, and then Ben Kingsley drop out, and it's like, we've got somebody who looks like Ben Kingsley. We could use him instead. <laughs> I suppose they didn't get Nick Cage for this, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> He'd do it. He's bankrupt. He'll do anything. Keith, is this one for the uh, strong watch list? 
no, this is a, this is this is this is a film that seems to have been made by people who have only ever seen the bad Spy Kid movies and uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and kind of like went, that's what films should look like in 2021. Um, but I mean, I I can understand there's an audience for this kind of thing. And I can understand that it could be, you know, if it ended up on a streaming platform or whatever it is, it would attract a certain kind of audience. But I'm kind of thinking it just seemed a bit like the CGI ape I thought was terrible, really. It was just like, you know, it was just bad. It's like either do a stop motion ape or a man in a suit or, you know, obviously it's problematic now that you can't use you wouldn't be able to use a kind of real ape but you know but the, oh, the, that, the project those pesky rules eh? yeah. <laughs> that matthew Broderick film project x um was quite good i just couldn't see the point it's like didn't seem to explain how the ape was part of the cia and like it it was very much like an asylum movie it's like literally everybody else was shot from below in an office and then there was some random cgi bits of an ape like coming out of doors and it was like I don't really understand what's going on. Why am? Why is this? Is it? Why is this any good? It's like, is it aimed at children? Because like children have got a lot more taste than this. I don't, I don't really know who this is aimed at. Uh, yeah, the whole made for children thing is never an excuse. Yeah, it's like kids. Kids have kids have got you know kids are more discerning than adults. Kids you kids know, watch better stuff than. And you've got do. Disney, Pixar, Studio Ghibli, and all these other things that are doing really good <laughs> movies for kids. You cannot justify oh. Oh, it's for kids. It's like, yeah. yeah. I mean, this but is what about all these ones? This is what I describe as a half-term movie. It's designed for people mm. who can't get into the screening of the actual film that people want to go and see at half-term. And yeah. they've taken the kids to the cinema. They've got to see some film. This will keep them quiet for an hour. Hey, kids, you could watch Peter Rabbit 2, or you could watch CIA. <laughs> and it's like, you know that the screenings for Peter Rabbit 2 are going to be full even though James Corden is one of the most hateful pinfalls of on humanity's backside. But um how does he keep getting work? I, I, I just think he has a dossier full of information somewhere that is it. He must do. Because <laughs> he's in that new Cinderella movie as well. Yeah. I just love the way this trailer like built itself up to the point where it introduced its cast as if they were like really <laughs> famous. It's like with the names starring da 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 and da 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 and Skip Schwim or whatever his name is. <laughs> it, it's like, what is going on here? Yeah, I, I think it's, as I said, it feels like one of those half-term movies, but it does feel like my first film out of film school kind of deal. Well, it feels like a half-term movie from 1974. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing that when I had nothing else to watch, I would have got dragged along to at the Grove Cinema on Dudley Road because, like... <laughs> We need to keep you off the streets for at least an hour. Um, and you got roped in to watch this, followed by, I don't know, Escape from Witch Mountain or something. That was but, like, yeah, but, some children's film foundation film with Keith Chegwin. Yeah, I was going to say, it does have that kind of vibe where it would be with Spy Kids or one of those late 90s movies. It felt very Nickelodeon to me as well, like 90s Nickelodeon. Mm. Of a, We'll have yeah. wacky things happen, but no actual plot. Just, just a device to move the wacky things on, and we'll have yeah. a cheeky chimp who's also a special spy chimp. I think it maybe also as well. It was it look. They thought we've got a good idea here, and we were going to we were going to do it as an animated film, and it would have been really cool. And then they went, yeah, that takes too long and it's too expensive, so we'll just kind of like cast a bunch of people that were desperate for a job and. <laughs> 
um, like some blender model that somebody made of a chimp that wasn't quite right somehow. It does feel like they wrote, someone wrote down, what if there was an ape in the CIA and then that was it? They didn't actually write a script. They just had that idea and they just kept showing that to people whenever someone like Man, what they, asked, well, what happens next? Well, there's, a, there's an ape in the CIA. I don't need to explain further. No, what happened was somebody wrote CIA and then wrote ape and then drew a line between the two <laughs> and then circled it multiple times and then went to a movie studio and went, Lionsgate, give me money. <laughs> and it literally was just that whiteboard with the with that written on it with the circle and just them just hammering at it with like the marker it's like i don't need to explain for like the chips at the start of 2001 a space odyssey just whacking the bone <laughs> yeah. i mean what um what uh, what they didn't show in the trailer and which i'm kind of desperate to find out is is a is this pa uh, parrots and drones prominently featured in the poster and i'm like is the is the parrot the boss of the cia because he's on the desk and it's like i've got other questions going on about this movie and it's kind of like you're not explaining it to me uh, is it is it a bit like a net keith are you going to be tantalized into watching this on yeah, your own at like, 2 a.m in the morning just to answer is that it question? is it going to pull the rug from under us and the human characters are considered the animals and like everybody else is like talking animals and there's going to be some kind of like you know really weird meta kind of thing going on here and we're going to be like oh yeah you like cia cia but it ends up being something else more yeah. kind of metaphysical and stuff but i think if i was yeah. to watch this i'd wait until riff tracks did a commentary for it <laughs> all right so time to move on to our final film uh, so this is a story about a duke son leading desert warriors against the Galactic Emperor and his father's evil nemesis when they assassinate his father and free their desert world from the Emperor's rule. It is, of course, Dune, directed by David Lynch, with written by Frank Herbert and David Lynch, starring <laughs> Carl McLaughlin, Virginia Madsen, Stinger, Patrick Stewart. No, sorry, that's a 1984 one. This is the Dennis Villeneuve one, which is coming out on October the 21st. Uh, Screenplay by Dennis Villeneuve this time around. Again, based on Frank Herbert's novel. And this time the cast is slightly more better selected than Stinging and Happy. <laughs> so we've got Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Oscar Isaac, Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem and Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, that, that's a pretty decent casting right there. And said I've been listening to the audiobook on purpose to try and get myself G'd up for this because... It's a visual feast and a half. And Lee, have you ever read Dune? No, this is the thing. Like people, like with all the hype around the new Dune movie, people are talking about it. And like as this sci-fi classic, and I feel so out of the loop because I've never engaged with anything Dune related. Not even literally the all Dune. No, I've, I've never seen. I can't remember what the game was. By the people who made Command and Conquer, it was their first. You mean Dune Two? Yes. <laughs> it was called Dune Two. Um, like all I really know is that like there's a scene where Sting is in a nappy, like you said. <laughs> like that's for some reason that's the only thing I know about you. <laughs> I don't know. Were you impressed? But, was it something that? I mean, it looks it looks impressive. It's kind of again very much like Foundation, where it's it looks interesting, but it looks like there's going to be so much going on that you're going to have to keep track of. But I think yeah, I think I think it looks interesting. And again, it, like you said, it's visual visual treat. So and there is a great cast in it, and that's kind of got me intrigued as well. Mm -hmm. And in, in a way, I think just 
because so many people are talking about June as a sci-fi classic and all this, it's like, I kind of feel like I should watch this just so that I know I can just get involved in, in the hype, really. It's a film that everybody's going to be forced to watch because it's such a classic sci-fi yeah. work. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you will watch this at the cinema. You will. Yeah. I mean, Dennis Villeneuve's done some great sci-fi films in the past. So we've had Arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had The Blade Runner 2069. I can never... 49. 49. That's all. <laughs> 2069 well, that's sounds. Porn parody. 2069 sounds better for some strange reason. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that was beautiful. We won't talk about the acting in it because Keith will start going on about Ryan Gosling again. But uh, it's a good movie. It is a good movie to watch and be astounded by. It. Every every single frame of that film looks like a painting, and I really enjoyed that. But the thing is, I can't take any movie with Ryan Gosling seriously because I just picture that meme where someone keeps trying to feed him cereal and he won't do it. <laughs> and this is why Timothy Chalamet is playing Paul Atreides. <laughs> I, I think hanging it on Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, I think um, Chani's got a much bigger role by the feel of this than it, than it was in the original book of the moot and the Lynch movie. So I'm thinking it's going to be a lot more of, about their dynamics as a relationship. From what the rumours are, this is only going to be the first half of the June book, and there's going to be a sequel because condensing the entire thing down is probably going to take forever. I think Jason Momoa has already been on to say he needs like a six hour version releasing at some point, like the Snyder Cut, because there's that much stuff they've recorded for this. And Keith is a fan of the Lynch version. Uh, read the book. Opinions? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the the David Lynch original, even though it was um, massively interfered with by the studio in terms of trying to get something that they could actually try and release to a, a general public. I've read the first book. I, I do enjoy the book. The whole premise of, of the whole um, world that's been set up in there is pretty cool. And I'm looking. I'm looking forward to this. Dennis Villeneuve has got a great track record. His films are beautiful and also have some sense of proper maturity, in a in a way. And he's a director that I do kind of think is um, should be more popular than he is. Um, a little bit of me kind of still looks at this as being Dune '84 remastered because it still feels like that film from the trailers that I've got, literally the framing and, and everything else. It's just like we've, we've jazzed up the special effects a bit. And, I think, um, yeah, I think somebody has done a side-by-side comparison with the 84 version and the trailer. And as you said, yeah. like the, the framing of most of the shots is, is eerily, eerily close. Yeah. I mean, obviously with the special effects now we can do like the, the aerocopters and stuff a little bit more mm-hmm. like they were described in the book, which would have been, you know, problematic in kind of the early eighties. Um, but yeah, there's a vibe. I think it's the, the, the vibe of Dune is, 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 is in Dune. You can't shake it. It's like spice. It's, it's kind of there. It's just in the air. Uh, and, and it was there in the 84 version. And I think it's there in, in this version. And, the cast is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I Sting Sting's not in a nappy. It's a particular type of costume <laughs> for the particular part of the film that that's in. Um, but I, yeah, it just kind of, I, yeah, it's, it's just one of those kind of things that just, it's, it's a feeling. June is a feeling, I think, yeah. strangely. It just kind of seeps in, uh, you know, like you're a navigator in a bath of spice. 
Um, mm-hmm. It kind of trans, it ch- changes the world um, in, in, a, in a weird way. Right. And, I, and, and Lynch was a great choice for the original. And I think Villeneuve is a great choice for this yeah. version. I think one of my favorite scenes from the trailer is when you get that, that first appearance of Baron Harkonnen, who's Stellan Skarsgård, because he was one of probably the better characters out of the Lynch film. But they've gone a completely different direction with how the Baron Harkonnen looks in this one. And yeah, when he rises up. Yeah, and that kind of oil and diesel and that that blackness that he rises out from it. As you said, it's very visual and it's 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 very impactful. And but what gets me is they've not mentioned Fade Rowther at all, who's like one of the main characters who was Sting in the Lynch movie. They've not mentioned his casting. There's been nothing about him, so I don't even know if he's going to be in this film. They seem to have built up the Beast Rebounds, who's Dave Batista's character, a bit more. But is, is, it, is, it, is it because it's going to be Sting? Yeah, I was about to say, is that, is that the big revelation? <laughs> just t- Sting just shows up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, could it be that they're holding this back because kind of like a bit like it was in Seven? And they're holding back who who's going to be for that big kind of reveal, and it's going to be a big shocking moment halfway through the film when Fade Rowther appears. We, we don't know. It seems to be they've been very coy and cagey about it because they've been very vocal about the rest of the cast and like having profiles up, but nothing about Fade Rowther, who's is quite a pivotal character in the book. Yeah, I think as well the cast the the casting of of of. Uh... Paul and Charney's is, is is on point as well mm-hmm. because you're going to get a young audience to come and kind of see this movie. You've probably not heard of the book or aren't that interested in it. Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya are going to bring you that audience in. You know, just the idea of this epic romance between these two characters, mm-hmm. which they kind of play up a little bit in the the trailer. This kind of um, yeah. two people separated by from in two different worlds. It's that kind of you know. There's there's always been that kind of Romeo and Julietness. Mm-hmm. of um two warring families and um yeah and stuff and that, so i think that 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 is gonna that's gonna draw a lot of people but it looks it just looks amazing mm-hmm. um as you mentioned you know, the ornithopters when you see the navigators guild ships coming over yeah it's, it's just every single frame of that trailer looks like you could print it out and stick it on your bedroom wall if you were like that yeah. kind of movie buff uh, have we convinced you a little bit more lee I mean, I, I might check it out, like, just because of, like, obviously knowing the the sort of influence and everything that June has had, and the trailer genuinely did look interesting, so. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, out of the six trailers that we spoke about today, I mean, do we all have a particular favourite? No? Um, yeah, I'd say it's it's going to be, it's going to be June, isn't it, mm-hmm. really? You know, I did, I did kind of just want to show it to other people when I saw it and went, have you seen this? It's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I personally, I think Annette for me, it's it's the trader that's left me wanting to know more, and it's very few times that a trailer does that now. It's nice to have a trailer that doesn't seem to reveal anything of the plot in it. It's just here's bits from the film, make your mind up from that if you think it's worth a watch. Well, I mean, obviously it's going to be CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, like I think I'm gonna have to kind of go with um, with June. I think um, just like it, it's between June and Foundation. Like they definitely like caught my attention the most. But as someone who has zero Apple devices, I'm not going to be watching Foundation anytime soon. So June it is. Okay, then worst trailer 
this is going to be hard for me because there's three films he particularly didn't like in this list. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Yeah, all I'm thinking of is the Ape. Not even Free Guy? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, like, Ryan Reynolds is at least charismatic. I didn't really get much charisma from CIA, mm-hmm. so you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a bit unfair to throw CIA into the ring with the rest of these trailers, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's my choice for the worst possible thing that I could probably inflict on our <laughs> eyes. This this issue, Keith. Yeah, it feels bad to be throwing CIA under the bus, really, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I wouldn't say any of them were particularly bad. That that would be the thing. It's like you know, for its audience, CIA would probably you know, mm-hmm. it it is what it is. It's not it's not for me, and I probably wouldn't be interested in it. But you know, I think the best way to describe if I, it, if I had to pick my last choice, yeah, CIA. Yeah, I was gonna say, if I had to describe it, it's probably a film that ten year old me would be very happy to be going to watch. Mm. <laughs> and it's a monkey spy. What more could you want? To be honest, I think 10-year-old me would also be kind of like, no, this is terrible. (laughs) 10-year-old you would be like, I want to see June. It's got Zendaya in it. (laughs) Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. um, I think that's been an interesting selection for this this issue of Trailer Talk. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummies podcast this week. Lee, where can we find your escapades online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I do various different gaming video essays and opinion video type things. Recently, did videos on um, like why online history is wrong, and uh, basically just looking at like British video game history instead. And also did a video looking back at Little Big Planet and looking at the whole franchise and why it's important to me. Uh, so. You can also find updates on the channel on Twitter at Bob Pet Ferret. You can support it on Patreon mm-hmm. at Bob Pet Ferret. And you can find me tweeting normally at the Cheap Ferret. Awesome. Keith, where can we find you and your digital presence? Yeah, my digital presence is mostly me being me on Geeky Brummy on Wednesdays, talking about what comics I can buy and what comics I want to buy, but I can't in on the radar. Uh, but that's at hardluck underscore hotel on Twitter um, without the underscore on Instagram and YouTube, where there is videos I've made, including a wee little puppet thing I did 11 years ago that people should watch. Um, yeah, and then just on Wednesdays on, on the blog, um, with my comics roundup and a couple of other bits and pieces in the meanwhile news. Yeah. And you can find me as an NPC who becomes self-aware in my latest movie <laughs> in the cinemas. That's my alter ego. <laughs> but really, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Parrish. You can find the foodie stuff at Promigorwand. There's a new series of Celebrity MasterChef, so I'm probably just going to be posting pithy gifts for the next 18 weeks. But, um, I hope you enjoy that. But you can find us all, as I mentioned, at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, of course, uh, at CastOS for our podcast and all your podcasting services of choice, if this is how you're listening to us today. And at the Geeky Brummy website, where I do the tech roundup, Lee does the gaming roundup, Keith does the comics of the week, and Matt does our esports. So plenty to fill your boots in the week between podcasts. And thank you for joining us, and we shall see you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take care, everybody. Idris Elba, his knuckles.